0: Hey there! You are listening to Let's Talk Food Allergies with Lisa Woodruff, a podcast inspired by my first book, Be a Food Allergy Helper. I'm a dietitian and food allergy mom that loves talking all things food allergies. Today, we are talking about snacks for children with Susie Hink, dietitian and owner of The Parenting Dietitian. Susie shares advice on all things snacks, as well as strategies for helping children nurture a healthy relationship with all foods. If you are a parent that struggles with what to feed your child at snacks, then you need to listen to this podcast. Whether you are a food allergy family or not, snacks have an important role in how we feed our families. But before we get started, I want to share my disclaimer that this conversation and podcast in general is provided for general information purposes only. It is not intended to replace the advice of a medical professional. As always, individuals with food allergies should consult with their healthcare team to create an individualized food allergy and anaphylaxis emergency care plan. And now, let's talk food allergies. This is Lisa with a quick announcement. Please make sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, click the small plus sign in the upper right corner. This also helps new listeners find the show. And I'd love it if you would leave a quick review. S. Doug 518 wrote, If you or a loved one has food allergies, this podcast will make the stress, anxiety, and challenges you face on a daily basis feel more normal. You'll probably find yourself saying, Me too, a lot. You are not alone. Thank you so much for that wonderful review. And now let's get into my conversation with Susie. To be talking with you today, we connected, I think, last year um, through food allergies, but Mm -hmm. you are not a food allergy dietitian. Um, So I was hoping we could start our conversation today by asking you to share your connection to the food allergy world. Are you a food allergy parent?
1: Nope, I'm not a food allergy parent. Um, so I'm a dietitian, and I have kids. And, you know, just by the nature of, you know, having a family and knowing other families, I've run into friends or our kids, other students in their classroom who have food allergies. So, you know, by extension, I've gotten to know other people who have food allergies, but I don't,
0: you know, work with them directly. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's been your experience with the food allergy community or, um, or with friends that have food allergies? Mm -hmm.
1: So like I mentioned, um, you know, if there's a friend or, you know, a a a kid in a class, I have the experience of getting to know the parents, um, you know, maybe like how they manage things like birthday parties or friend gatherings. And during those times, I just try to be as helpful as I can. um, I'm usually kind of met with a parent who kind of knows what's going on in the food allergy world. And for a very good reason, they want to keep their kid, you know, safe and healthy in those environments. So I try to offer support, but I usually try to like, not get in the way of what they have going on, because I feel like allergy parents are usually on top of things. So I just try to be supportive. And I tell, you know, if there's anything that they need to let me know, ask, I always ask questions, if there's going to be a party, like, you know, let me know if there's any allergies, you know, kind of like you have to do in school. So that's kind of where I feel like my experience has been like sort of getting to know this and finding a supportive role, you know, as a friend
0: or fellow parent. Mm-hmm. So as, as a food allergy mom myself, I just I love that you are modeling this like compare caring and compassionate, um, you know, friendship to to a fellow food allergy parents. Um, which is one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, one of the topics that's been important to me with this podcast is bridging that gap between the food allergy community and those who are kind of on the periphery or outside of it. Um, so I guess I just want to start off by asking, within your area of expertise, how have you observed individuals or families with food allergies? How are they similar to those without without food allergies? How are they different? Um, you know, just let's. Let's find some common ground.
1: <laughs> um, I think the most basic common ground on that is that everybody eats food. Yeah. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: we all as parents have similar struggles when it comes to feeding kids. Um, you know, as long as those kids are within their normal developmental ranges, right? Mm-hmm. Um we all are planning around busy schedules and family preferences or personal preferences, so to say, Um, we might have some sort of religious or cultural norm that we're trying to consider, or, you know, family traditions, maybe around holidays. But I think um, we're all kind of just figuring out food and meals. And that comes down to just planning logistics, Mm -hmm. knowing what we need to have available and when, and then you know, we figure it out kind of like we have to figure out anything. Um, I think families who are dealing with food allergies have to do that to another level. There's more planning. They have to be more diligent, more vigilant of ingredients, more aware of their surroundings, etc. That, you know, families who are not thinking about that don't have to put that in their in their list of things that they're planning around a meal.
0: Right. Right. You did such a good job laying that out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think if if you're willing, perhaps we should touch on the fact that like while we are both dietitians, we are not both food allergy dietitians, um, and that kind of brings up the point that dietitians are like doctors in the sense some of us are generalized and some of us are specialized. Your specialty is the world of parenting and family nutrition. My specialty is food allergy nutrition. And I think this is an important distinction to make since um, unfortunately there is a perception in some parts of the food allergy community that dietitians could be a waste of time or that Google can help more than a dietitian can. And I know I'm getting on a long rant, so I apologize for that. Uh, But I was hoping you would share some general information and background about how someone becomes a dietitian, like what's our education and training process?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so you know, dietetics falls kind of within that healthcare professional field. And so in order to become a dietitian, a person has to have, has to have the appropriate prerequisites and become admitted to a program. Um, you have to do education and training and a dietetic internship, and then you have to pass the national board exam and become licensed so just like any other medical profession like physical therapy occupational therapy nursing Mm -hmm. they have to do do similar things to it just the requirements are different for each so our requirements in the dietetics world are broad about all of nutrition among all the the lifestyles and disease states right Mm -hmm. so um there within that there's different categories just like any other health profession, um, there's different categories of how you would um, specialize that. You know, if you think about it really broadly, if you had a broken ankle and went to go see your OB about it, they'd be like, yeah, I see you've got a broken ankle. You need to go to orthopedics (laughs) or like (laughs) urgent care or something. They can tell you what the issue is, obviously. And then they don't treat or manage that condition. So it's like the same with, you know, dietetics. If someone came to me, and their child had a list of food allergies, I would say, yes, I see you have a diagnosis of X food allergies. You need to go see like a pediatrician, allergist, and a dietitian who specialize in these allergies. Um, you know, hopefully they're all on the same team. And if not, like maybe through mm-hmm. the same provider, um, right, right. I don't treat or manage that condition. Like in school, we were taught the basics of food allergies. Um, but we were, we were specifically instructed to refer that to um, a pediatrician team of people who is working with this family who can diagnose the condition through appropriate testing. And then they can manage that through appropriate medications or treatment regimen, you know, whatever that might be according to that condition. And then, you know, I just feel like dietitians have found there's this need for families to work closely with the dietitian in this area. So, there's a specialty related to fit that need. Once the medication and treatment plan is in place, you know, that parent or family will probably want to work with a dietitian who knows the ins and outs of this allergy world, but not every dietitian is going to know that because there's dietitians who work in the NICU who formulate tube feeds for infants Mm -hmm. and like, you don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that. And (laughs) You know, like, for example, like, I know what the top food allergens are. I know what the symptoms are. I know the difference between a food allergy versus a food intolerance. And I know, like, the testing of a food challenge, a blood test, a skin prick test. But beyond that, I don't really know that much about what it is to um, diagnose allergies because that's their job. And then in terms of, you know, treating and living with that, that's a different level. Like that's kind of the rest of your life for however long you need it. Sometimes they can mm-hmm. you can grow out of an allergy, right? But that's where the parents of this kid would want to join up with the dietitian who's in that area, knows that really well. And I can see how, you know, if a dietitian doesn't, if many dietitians don't know that area, I can see how there is a perception that, you know, in general dietitians don't know about allergies, but if you look at the broad spectrum of all dietitians in the world, they don't all specialize in allergies. So I feel like, I mean, I could see how that perception exists, but I think that if a family wants to um, understand their allergies and work with somebody, then like there's totally a niche for dietitians who are doing that. And they are the experts in that. And I would definitely refer to um, you or somebody in that area because (laughs) I, I don't do that.
0: Right. And I just want to highlight um, for anyone listening, um, unfortunately, not all allergy clinics have a dietitian in-house. So if you are hoping to to work with a food allergy dietitian, that FAIR or Food Allergy Research and Education does offer a pediatric food allergy nutrition course. um, And then they have a directory on their website of FAIR trained dietitians that you can use to find a food allergy dietitian that practices in your state. Um, so I will definitely link to that in the show notes, but then also what's coming to mind is I don't think just the general perception of dietitians realize that clinical is just one area that dietitians practice in, you know, yeah. um, so like. A a clinical dietitian would be someone either that does like inpatient or outpatient work or private practice work. But then there's also dietitians that work in like food service or the retail setting or um, research, like, uh, you know, not all dietitians necessarily work with, um, you know, work with clients.
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like even in the last, you know, 10 years, our field has really, really expanded And Mm -hmm. you can basically do anything with this field, which is really cool. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go into it, because I knew I was interested in like food and nutrition and helping people in that way. But I didn't actually quite know what direction within that I was going to take. But, yeah, there's dietitians who work, like you said, um, in in research. There's some who work in marketing. Some people specialize in sports. There's wellness dietitians. There's. Mm There's literally a dietitian for anything. There's dietitians who work specifically with chefs and do
0: meals. I don't know. Anything. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So that's another important thing to look for, um, you know, when you're seeking out a dietitian, like what area do they work and do they have experience working with a lot of other patients or is it, yeah, are they more focused on writing or marketing or research or, you know, not direct patient care?
1: And yeah, even within the patient care realm, it mm-hmm. still can be pretty broad, right? Like there's people mm-hmm. who just work in a diabetes clinic mm-hmm. and there's people who just work with cancer patients. I mean, even within the the umbrella of clinical, it it is still pretty broad. And then the whole area outside of clinical is like endless,
0: I think. Right, right. I know we kind of like fallen down a rabbit hole with this <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so to jump back to the beginning. Um, you know, building that bridge between the food allergy world. Um, I just want to talk a little bit more about like snacks um, yeah. is an area where like both of our specialties overlap. Right. Because like mm-hmm. snacks are something that all kids need, that all families use, whether or not they have a food allergy. Um And I know you have a great blog post about snacks, which I'll link to in the show notes. And so I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about like the basics with your expertise as a family dietitian when it comes to like all things snacks and kids. Yeah, sure. Um, So
1: if anyone is a parent, they know that kids eat pretty frequently. Um, They're growing (laughs) and they're developing rapidly and this requires energy. So it's normal for kids to want to eat you know three meals a day with snacks in between and that's great um every kid's different their needs are going to vary even with my own kids they eat and snack differently I have one who seems to do fine in longer periods of time and the other one who feels like she needs to eat like almost every hour and they've been like that since birth and it's just Mm -hmm. like every kids different so I think knowing your kid and knowing that they need to eat frequently is a good place to start um And then I I think there's a little bit of a fine point on like how important it is to keep a regular schedule. I say that with, you know, a little bit of ease and grace because everybody's busy. I think Mm -hmm. of it as more of like, you know, throughout the course of the day, can you keep things flowing versus like this period of time has to be a meal or a snack? Mm -hmm. Um, And just knowing how long it has been since your kid has had a meal or a snack so that they're you know, not getting hangry on us, but, um, one, every person can be like that. Right. So I just try to help parents understand what a schedule can look like. It doesn't have to be extremely regimented, but you know, with flow throughout the day. And I just honestly talk about the main food groups, you know, it can really come back to the basics of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, protein. Um, and I just try to make sure that, they understand that um, creating snacks might be a little bit easier than they think. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, something that is a packaged thing that is called a snack. A snack can be anything that is food in between a meal. And -hmm. it's totally fine if it's a packaged snack, but it just, it doesn't have to be labeled as such. If um, a parent is like, I don't know how to do a snack. What do I go buy a snack? It could be anything that you have. It can be fruit and vegetables you have in your house. Um, It can be, you know, parts of leftovers from a meal that you throw together on a plate. Maybe a person's into yogurt and granola or muffins and you make things at your house. Or maybe you're out and about and you have to figure it out out there. Mm -hmm. So I try to um, work with families individually to ask what they need for their meals and their snacks and then figure it out from there. Are, is the snacking happen, happening at home? Is it happening at school? Is it happening in between activities? And how do you plan for that? Um, and I think when you think about your day and your week, then it's easier to figure out kind of like how you need to get the snacks and, and when and where. And then from that point, we look at how are you getting your major food groups? And maybe do they need to be incorporated into the snack because they maybe not be at, at the mealtime? Or maybe they are at the mealtime, but they're not eaten. So how can you kind of recover from that and maybe
0: offer it as a snack? Right, right. So I love that because I think a lot of us, when we think of snacks, what immediately comes to mind, you know, are like snacky foods that, you know, you keep in a snack closet. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like with, with food allergies, depending on what food allergy a child has or what combination of food allergies, you know, you're looking at you know a lot of allergy friendly products are 2 to 3 times more expensive <laughs> than sure. you know um you know normal um or not normal but you know standard options that you can get um when you're not having to worry about like nut free facilities or yeah. you know milk free products um but you know a, when you look at something like you know like an apple an apple costs the same whether you know someone has a nut allergy or not <laughs> yeah um So I think that's a good way to, like, change our perspective on what we consider snacks because then we're opening it up to, like, all sorts of different kinds of foods.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And when I work with families, I often just give the advice of think first about fruits and vegetables, Um, you know. Rarely are those an allergen. <laughs> Although, right, right. right. It can and, happen,
0: but you're right. Yeah, yeah but it can. It's I'm it's aware. But, yep.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if a person had a very specific allergy, I'm not going to, like, tell them to eat that food, obviously. I'm just talking about in the broad picture when I yeah. work with families, I tell them, like, first, think about fruits and vegetables as part of a snack. And then um, one of the ways I can help, like, conceptualize this for a family is to include you know, another food group. So try to combine two different food groups. So if you have a fruit or vegetable, combine that with a healthy fat or a protein. So maybe that means, you know, a vegetable with hummus, or maybe that means a fruit or vegetable with cheese. If it's something like a muffin or a bar, maybe it's already, you know, incorporated in there, but I kind of, that that's personal preference. Um, And another one is like smoothies. You get the fruit and you can have whatever goes with it in terms of you know like the the fat or the protein. So I feel like within the food allergy world then it just becomes another layer of mm-hmm. what those options are, right? If mm-hmm. there's a nut allergy, then you're going to use like whatever nut-free or safe butter that you choose or you know something like that. So it's not really like the snack itself is different, it's just the option of within that snack. Right, varies person to person.
0: Right. So, like, what comes to mind is I think of, like, peanut butter and apple slices. You know, that Mm -hmm. was a common snack from when um, when I was a kid. I know. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so, So, you can't do peanut butter. Well, what can you do instead? Well, there are definitely, like, other, like, cashew butters or almond butters that are made in facilities that don't process peanuts. Or, you know, if you have a different tree nut allergy, you can look at sun butter or you can look at soy butter. Like, there's so many... Yeah. alternatives that like yes you cannot do peanut butter and apples but how can we tweak it or how can we adapt it to make it fit your family's needs yeah yeah exactly
1: and I think that can go for sort of anything same thing with like vegetable and hummus mm-hmm. like yeah if there's a treatment allergy you might want to work at home and make your own kind of hummus that is like bean based or something mm-hmm. and that it's the same type of snack but just you know a different ingredient
0: Right. 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 So this is awesome. I love um, I love your idea of was it trying to do at least two food groups when it comes to a snack, whether it be like fruit or vegetables and a protein and um, some type of like carbohydrate or starch or fiber.
1: Yep, exactly. And so then people and actually what I love even more is, you know, I educate families on this, but then I tell them best way to get your kids involved is to give them choices and so yeah Yeah. combine two food groups but so then it would be sort of working with you know the child or the children in that family for that parent to do so and say like hey which fruit would you like you know apple or orange or whatever it's going to be and then what do you want to combine it with you know do you want to like you said do you want to combine the apple with some sort of nut butter or nut free butter or do you want to combine you know I feel like when kids have the power to choose they're, they get so much more excited about it. They
0: mm-hmm. anticipate
1: eating it. They enjoy eating it. And they're like, I ate my snack, you know, it, it makes things
0: easier. Right. Right. Yeah. And I know with me, I struggle because with three kids, you know, I don't want it to be a big free for all, like everyone <laughs> gets their, own, you know, like they're- Yes, <laughs> I, at least in my house, I need a little bit more structure or it's just pure chaos. So like, so, for example, like if we're doing um a granola bar and fruit well like well here's a granola bar you know you can each pick out a fruit from the fruit drawer you know like yes I'm all about choices too um you know but how yeah every family's different as far as like how far they go with choices
1: (laughs) yeah choices within reason like the way I look at it as I'm fine with any of these choices that I'm laying out Mm -hmm. for my child so whatever they want to choose is fine you know, because I feel like kids also need a little bit of control. So much of their day is not
0: in their control. Mm-hmm. And so if I can just lay out options that I know I'm okay with, they can choose whatever. Right. And that's different than saying, help yourself to anything in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to stress that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. I meant As like if parent, I'm laying yeah. out the options. Here they are for you within the yes. options. Take your pick. Yes. I like that. I like that. So then I guess how do we differentiate between snacks and meals like what advice do you give families on that oh yeah
1: for sure um parents ask about that especially when it's getting close to mealtime and mm-hmm. you know maybe it's been busy maybe kids are really hungry and they want to eat a snack but you're like just hold on because we're just trying to make the next meal you don't want them to eat a ton of snack right then cuz then they're likely not going to eat the meal. Right. Um, I mean, obviously every kid's different. And if they're growing a lot, maybe they will eat a snack in the meal, but you never know, right? But Mm -hmm. all I'm saying is know your kid, know the time of day, know what you're doing. My best advice is to, like I said before, is to have sort of structure in the day so that you know they're hungry for snack. It is time to eat a snack and then snack's gone and we're done. Mm -hmm. And then they know when the next meal is coming. So I think communication is important. They know when the next meal is coming, maybe they're helping make it, maybe they're not, but they know what's going to happen and they're going to have that next. Now in that in-between time, I feel like sometimes parents can run into this like, ah, but they just want more snack or like, oh, they're super hungry and the meal's not ready yet. So Mm -hmm. in those situations, I always give the advice of, you know, at least this only plays well if you're at home, but give the advice that, if you can, while you're getting that meal ready and they're just really, really hungry, set out a little fruit or a vegetable plate while you're preparing your meal. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever been so hungry yourself when you're cooking? You're like kind of nibbling on whatever it is you're eating. You're right. Eating? You know, like I'm sitting here slicing a pepper or even if it's like the chips and the salsa are there for the taco night that we're having while I'm getting everything ready. Like it's normal to feel hungry mm-hmm. as you're anticipating a meal. I often will set out if my kids are very hungry a little plate of vegetables cuz I don't care if they eat that. That's right. great. They'll eat right. more vegetables. And <laughs> right. if they don't, if they don't, I also don't care cuz I know that their meal is coming
0: right. and
1: they will eat the meal. So right. you know, I feel like it it's hard to answer one way directly but my advice is try to have structure with meals and snacks so they don't run into each other cuz then yes. you run the risk of you know, overeating on the snack, not eating the meal, or being so hungry at the meal. I mean, this can go play true with really, really little kids. If they're so hungry and exhausted, they won't eat, and then they actually
0: mm-hmm. are very hungry, and you have a problem. So, mm-hmm. it's different situation to situation, right? Right. I definitely do the same thing with with vegetables too. Like if it's if it's one of those nights where either dinner's late getting out, or like the kids are just. Constantly like distracting me from being able to get the meal on the table because they're so hungry. I was like, here's the vegetable. You can start with this. (laughs) Yep. And
1: (laughs) sometimes I just get it all set out and I just give them jobs. Like the faster we get all this to the table or whatever on your plate or however Mm -hmm. it's working that night, you know, faster we can eat. And then often they'll just come to the counter. (laughs) <laughs> take a or two over but as they're doing so they're nibbling off of what's going
0: on like you know what this is fine. yep yep <laughs> I love this all right so I guess how do you help families navigate like nutrition misinformation about snacks or like what are some common misconceptions that you encounter about snacking oh that's
1: a good one well I think two different ways um so I have no problem with people, you know, choosing packaged foods. I think there's a time and a place I do it often. Like there's so many snacks available now Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of really good snacks. I think oftentimes people may, you know, I'm seeing people in the general world who may not be reading labels as much as allergy parents are, but it's pretty common that people like aren't really reading the label too much. And I think parents often forget about how much, um, sugar and sodium that are in processed foods. Mm -hmm. So I will do a little bit of education on label reading when it comes to packaged foods and snacks, Mm -hmm. just so that they know what they're choosing. Um, you know, even within the realm of like a granola bar, that's a big category of snack food. There's some that are just, you know, almost desserty type foods that have lots of sugar in them and then there are some that are the complete opposite and your kid may like either or neither and so it just comes into play of you know what makes the most sense for that family in terms of um misinformation I would say or like misconceptions um I'm not really sure I feel like I would say uh I just try to let people know that kids are growing snacks are normal we all need to make sure that we get enough food throughout the day and sometimes meals can be like just a big uh conglomeration of a bunch of different foods together and it's like a snacking lunch right Mm -hmm. so the whole term like snack is hard to you know conceptualize with people who haven't really thought about structure of a day of meals and snacks Mm -hmm. so I just try to let people know like structured meals throughout the day put snacks in there, and you really got to just go with your gut on how your kid is eating throughout the day and knowing that over time, what's normal
0: for that, for their growing body. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of like, just like throw out some like age group and like what could, what could be an option for like structure as far as their meal and snack routine for the day? Oh,
1: sure. Of course. So if um, let's think about like a, toddler or you know maybe like two-ish age kid um, they're going to be needing um, snacks meals more frequently than a child who maybe is elementary age eight or nine so to say Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll probably eat smaller meals and snacks throughout the day as well in terms of um, the size of them so I would say children often need to have about like five or six meals snacks a day. So I would say breakfast, whenever that happens, lunch, whenever that happens, dinner, whenever that happens. And then in between are those very specific snack times two or three for a young child like that, um, throughout the day, older kids who maybe are in the, like I said before, maybe elementary age range, um, probably do need a morning and afternoon snack, but probably could go either way. They probably more likely need an afternoon snack because they're tired and hungry from the busy school day mm-hmm. than they would like that kind of morning snack. So as kids grow, they kind of need, they're they they are they're better at managing more time between meals. And so snacks don't become as necessary or important as long as they're getting the nutrition that they need at those major meal times.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So I guess in addition to both of us being dietitians, we're both parents. (laughs) So I just, I'm curious, how do you normalize fruits and vegetables, um, whether it be at snacks or at meals in your own house?
1: Um, That's a great question. Um, I just have them out. It's just part of our normal... Mm -hmm meal. Um, I, my kids know I'm a dietitian. They don't really know what that means sometimes.
0: (laughs) And I'm also not trying
1: to, I'm also not trying to put myself on a pedestal where we only eat healthy food because that is Mm -hmm. not the case whatsoever. I try to provide fruits and vegetables at every meal that I can. So some meals are going to be super healthy, like great. And other meals are not, but I'll be like, you know what? There's a fruit and there's a vegetable <laughs> available. Super. That's about as good mm-hmm. as I can do it right now. So in terms of normalizing fruits and vegetables, I offer them with meals and snacks regularly. And then kids get used to that and they know what the options are. And then they're more likely to eat them. So it's pretty common with kids that um, what they are offered regularly, they you know, tend to think as normal, and you can think about this in sort of any culture too. Whatever a kid yeah. is offered is kind of that's what their family's used to, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. So I normalize fruits and vegetables by offering them frequently and regularly, and like we talked about before, giving my kids choices on what they might feel like for mm-hmm. you know that day or that meal.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I, one of the things that we do is, you know, or we try to as, at least cause we're humans <laughs> with my husband and I is, you know, we, we try not to make a big deal of like, Oh, you have to eat a fruit or vegetable or like you, you, yeah. you, you didn't put one on your plate. Um, we try to like be as, you know, more role model as opposed to like do what I say, not what I do <laughs> and just try to keep that neutral exposure. Oh, exactly. Um,
1: for sure. And I think that brings up a really good point about um, pressuring kids to eat fruits and vegetables usually will backfire. And so it's not really a recommendation anymore to make a kid eat all of the food on their plate or have, you know, you have to eat this, whatever vegetable it may be in order to have dessert or something. So those kind of recommendations are not really in play anymore. Like you said, it's about modeling good eating and like putting the food out there and. Um, As a parent, it's their, it's the parent's job to provide the meal, whatever it is, and snack time, whatever it is, and you really can't force your kid to eat, and it's their job to sit down and eat, and so I think the best thing to do is just, if you know, you can talk, it's okay to talk about the food, like today we're Mm -hmm. having whatever, XYZ, but there's no reason to force a kid to eat something. I think every now and then a parent really wants their kid to try a new food, right? Mm Because it's, it could be exciting. It could be really good. So it can be really enticing to ask them to, oh, but give it a bite. Um, But sometimes kids just really don't like that. It's, you know, I get that from a kid perspective. So I think one of the things I do is, like you said, model that good behavior of eating all of the things, no matter what it is. They see us doing that. They see mealtimes as fun. Mm-hmm. And then they're more likely to enjoy the
0: meal. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause sometimes, you know, that you get them to eat that one try bite and then, yeah, you got them to eat it at that meal or that snack, but you know, you may have turned them off of that food for the rest of their life. <laughs> you know, yes. like, yeah, you got to think big picture sometimes. Yeah.
1: And, and feeding kids is, is hard and it's yes. really tricky and kids can have a perception of I don't like a certain food because maybe they tried it once and they didn't like how it was prepared um or maybe they tried a certain type of um even fruit and vegetables can be so different day to day right like mm-hmm. something as simple as a banana could be really great one day and horrible uh, two days later we all know this about that right <laughs> so it's natural for kids to kind of be hesitant when there's something new or if they didn't like something like oh how do I know I'm going to like it again and yeah, it, food, we're all we're all um, subject to the differences in food tastes and textures, right? So it's mm-hmm. understandable that our kids are still learning that they're
0: little. Right, right. And so this kind of leads into a good question. Like, I'm sure most of us as adults understand that fruits and vegetables have health benefits. They're good for us as far as nutrition. But like, what are some other talking points or what that we could use with our kids or, you know, what are other reasons why we should include fruits and vegetables, whether it's at snacks or at meals, um, any thoughts on that?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the age of the kid and like developmentally, like what can they understand, but you know, for little kids, simple things. So we know that fruits and vegetables have a lot of vitamins and minerals that help our body function. So um, we can talk about how different fruits have antioxidants. They don't know what an antioxidant is, right? <laughs> if they're old enough, you might be able to go into it and be like, you know what? Fruits are really great because they help our body stay healthy. And if we get sick, it helps our body get rid of our sickness or something like that. They don't mm-hmm. even, you know, Not that fruits and vegetables are the cure to sickness, but my point is like, if you give your body the nutrients that it needs, it's going to be able to function properly. So if you want to talk about specific body functions, like there's not one specific thing you can sort of say, you know, we know that carrots have vitamin A and vitamin A has health benefits for your eyes and your skin, but it, there's not like eating one carrot is not going to automatically improve your vision, right? So sometimes it's hard to figure out what to say to kids. It's more about uh, learning those health benefits from the perspective of you as an adult and for your kid and just trying to let them know fruits and vegetables are healthy for us because they have vitamins and minerals and fiber. And then that helps our body grow and function how we need it to over time And there's also really excellent foods out there that taste delicious. And we love to eat those too. You know, it doesn't have to be just about, you know, fruits and vegetables. I try to keep mealtimes as sort of a, we love all foods, all foods can fit. And we also love fruits and veggies because they're really good for our growing bodies.
0: Right. And they taste good. I like to use that message too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, they add texture, they add flavor, they make meals more interesting. Um, at yeah. least with my kids, I found like when I try to emphasize the healthy, it usually backfires on me. Mm-hmm.
1: I know it is really interesting because they're perceptive on things. Like, just like we were talking about before, if you try to get them to eat something in a way, they're almost less likely to, right? Cause they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, why do you want me to do that? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I almost, when it comes down to mealtime with my kids at home we just like sit down if they have a question if it's a new food I'm like oh that's what this is and we just talk about it but you know I try to release all the pressure on whatever it is that
0: they're eating right right I think that's great that's good advice okay and actually that kind of gets me to think um so I'm gonna step on my soapbox for a minute (laughs) so I apologize Um, And I just want to, like, emphasize that, you know, most dietitians are not the food police. Um, Mm. I'm sure you would echo this as well. Like, I eat all kinds of foods. My kids eat all kinds of foods. um, And unless, like, I'm specifically working with a client, like, someone has come to me and asked for help and I am helping them, I just don't have the mental bandwidth to, like, worry or take notice about what other people are feeding their kids. Yeah. Um, you know, so like, I feel like a lot of people start to get all like weird or awkward when they find out I'm a dietitian. But I mean, unless something's going to directly impact my child, like I don't care what other people serve their kids. I don't care what you're eating. There's no judgment coming from me because I just, I don't have the mental capacity to worry <laughs> about, you know, I've got enough to worry about with feeding my own kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so true. That happens to me all of the time. <laughs> when people learn especially when it's out at a mealtime or a family or friend gathering if people learn right. a dietitian and all of a sudden they like turn their plate away like
0: don't judge me i'm like
1: do you see my plate i'm not right, just-
0: <laughs> right. like i yeah <laughs> and i mean and so like looking at a specific meal or like i don't get too hung up on that because while i'm intentional about what we're, what's being served through like the course of a day, the course of a week, like, you know, if, if we're eating cookies and milk in the afternoon, I'm not like getting hung up on that. I'm going to figure out a different way or a different time where I can get fruits and vegetables served to my kids. Like, you know, it's, yes. I feel like there's this, all this pressure that we place on ourselves as parents to be perfect with our food choices. And it it doesn't have to be like that.
1: I agree with that so much, especially when it comes down to hanging out with other people, whether it's Uh family or friends or whatever social gathering or, you know, function that's going on. Those things are meant to be fun and a time to come together with other people. And there's often food there. And if it's a special thing, there should be special food and it should be enjoyed. Like, you know, a kid's birthday party, if there's going to be some sort of treat available, I almost always will try, well, okay, we am to put the caveat out there that if it's being offered to the parents, <laughs> like, hey, have some too. I almost always try to do it because I want my kids to see me enjoying the food because I don't want them to think that it's bad. Right. They shouldn't be having it or something. Um, and it's an interesting dynamic when you think of uh, parents e- eating those sweets and treats with their kid. I'm like, do it. You know, show them that food is delicious and we
0: should all enjoy it. Right. Right. And I know with like, like food allergy families, like we have enough to worry about, like, is this treat safe for my child? Like, if it's something that's safe for your child, like that should just be a hard stop. Like who cares? Like what else is in it? You know, if it's not one of their allergens, like just let them enjoy the moment. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. But that also kind of brings up the point um, with like with what kids are eating. I was just hoping um, I know we're getting close to time, but would you be willing just to talk about the different jobs that parents and kids have when it comes to eating in general?
1: Um, yeah. So as a part of my specialty training of maternal and child nutrition, one of the big areas that I cover is basically the Division of responsibility in feeding. This is um, a coined term by Ellen Setter, who's a well-known dietitian. Um, and basically, all of her research pins down to a couple key points that, as a parent, it's your job to provide the food at meal and snack times. You know, you same thing. Like you, you create the structure of the day. You know when you're going to feed your kids. You kind of know what you're going to feed the kids. You put it in front of them. Obviously they can help if they're older. Um, but that's your job. And beyond that, you kind of have to release control. It's your child's responsibility to actually do the eating and how much eating, um, this allows kids to develop and understand their hunger cues and their fullness cues. It's really important for kids to, um, learn this so that they can develop healthy relationship with foods and meal times. Um, and that kind of, you know, goes into a lot more detail about keeping a schedule for meals and and snacks and communicating with your kids like, okay, here's our meal. And the more you do that and practice it, that the more natural it feels, even though it's not always easy. If your kid isn't eating anything, you want to like, probe them to eat a little bit. I know that I've been there, but the best advice really is to sort of release that pressure and let your child have the control over
0: eating. Mm -hmm. That's a good point because with food allergies, a big conversation is, you know, our goal as food allergy parents is to prepare our food allergy child to eventually manage their own food allergies. Like we want them to be able to carry their epinephrine and read labels and know what foods contain their allergens. But when you step back and look at food from a bigger picture, like our kids grow into adults and then they're responsible for their own eating and like, shouldn't our ultimate goal with, with, with food in general be like to help them have a healthy relationship with food so that they can do the eating and the planning and the scheduling when they're, when it's their turn Mm -hmm. as adults. Yeah, for sure. I think all kids kind of need to learn
1: um, the things that you mentioned, like, how what foods do I need what foods are what, what reading labels like what all of those things like kids need to learn that as they get older I think kids and families who have allergies just have to take it much further and they need to learn more and be diligent of more but I think it's very healthy to think of kids being I mean healthy in like life prospect
0: um to let kids be independent about their eating right right and what we were talking about earlier with like what choice can we give them <laughs> to like mm-hmm. help them practice making their choices when they get to the point when they're choosing at the grocery store. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, this was such a fun conversation and I want to thank you so much for, um, for sharing your expertise and your time with us today. But before we go, I have a quick, o- a couple quick fun questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. okay so do you have any favorite resources related to either, your area of nutrition expertise or food allergies? Um,
1: I, I'll go just in the food allergy realm. I would just say you and your Instagram and (laughs) podcasts and website are great resources. Um, I can also recommend a book called Charlie learns about her food allergies. Um, It's by the author is Katie Hall. Um, It's, it's a great book advocating for um, families who don't have allergies to how to relate to kids who do have allergies, all of those kinds of things. I think kids who have allergies would probably find it informative and useful too, but um, that's a really great one uh, that I would recommend. And beyond that, um, I have a lot of resources, but (laughs) I, I won't, I won't go into too much there. Honestly,
0: uh, when it comes to feeding kids, the, oh, my gosh, the resources are endless. There's a lot. Right. And um, before I forget, we will um, we will link to your website because you have some great resources about just feeding in general. Um, so in the show notes, we'll uh, get your information out there, too. Oh, sounds great. <laughs>
1: yeah, I have a lot. I would say on like Instagram and website if people are interested in looking further.
0: Right, right. Okay, so what advice would you give to other parents to help them navigate if their child has a new friend or a classmate with food allergies?
1: Um, yeah, that's a great question. I So um, this has happened to me and with one of my kids, too. So I think one of the best things that we can do, so from my perspective as a non-allergy parents but knowing that there are families in my circles who have allergies I feel like the best thing we can do is to communicate with our kids and educate them that you know everybody's different and it's okay to Mm -hmm. be different so let's normalize that I'm not even talking about just with allergies or not like everybody has so many differences and I think kids learn that so much in school around their peers and any activities that we do and I think if we can just normalize the fact that kids are everybody's different and that's okay and just let our kids know if somebody needs help with something offer them help and be kind if they like seem like they've got it okay great and you know just to be sort of a supportive role for that person and understand that they're probably going through a different kind of day or life than our kids are and that's totally fine and just i don't know i think that whole notion of how, how showing our kids and helping our kids understand that it's okay to be different we don't have to call people out for our differences but just mm-hmm. know that you know everybody's kind of dealing with life in different ways and that's okay and let's sort of celebrate that and help include those people and whatever it is that we're doing
0: I love that yeah yeah we can be kind to anyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that exactly yeah Okay, so um, on, on this podcast, when I'm talking with food allergy parents, I like to emphasize the importance of taking time for yourself outside of, um, you know, your role as a food allergy parent. So I'm just curious, how do you take time for yourself outside of your work or, you know, being a mom? Oh, let's, let's
1: see. I, well, I mean, I do love family time. Um, so outside of work and everything, we do a lot of fun things with our, my husband and our two girls. We have a lot of fun together. Um, when I'm a solo out and about, I, I like to go running in the summer, cross country skiing in the winter, Um, I love yoga a lot, and so when I have these sort of solo activities, I often will listen to a podcast or a book alongside of that because it tends to be my only time to be able to do those things. Um, (laughs) I also love baking and cooking at home, too. So those are probably some top things that I do Uh, solo. I don't know. I like to socialize, too. So when I have time to meet up with friends and family, like,
0: those are really fun moments also. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, Susie, thank you again so much for talking with us today. Um, Anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to add really quick? No, that was great, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Food Allergies. If you or your child has food allergies, it's important to know that you're not alone. Thank you to my guest, Susie Hink, the parenting dietitian, for joining me today and sharing her advice on all things snacks and kids. You can follow Susie on Instagram, Facebook, or check out her blog. Links in the show notes at lisawoodruffnutritioncom podcast 10. A special shout out goes to the talented Colin Braley, who wrote and performed my theme song. The cover art was photographed by Chris Woodruff and designed by Olive Fawn. And finally, if you like today's episode, please leave some stars or write a short review for Let's Talk Food Allergies. This helps others find and listen to my podcast. You can also connect with me online at lisawoodroofnutrition.com or on Instagram at Be a Food Allergy Helper. Until next time, friends.